Today we're bridging the gap between science and culture by looking at the perspective of a scientific field dedicated to the study of human society, sociology. As we move from the physical sciences into social science, we can now explore why we do what we do and how our actions are shaped by our larger culture. After all, we can't talk about what any one individual thinks it means to be human without recognizing the influence of the society around us in how we think about and answer this question. My name is Megan Peugeot, and this is Human. from the UK, moved to Poland in my mid-twenties and I worked as a lecturer in university, uh, ESL teaching to start with, and then I moved into teaching intercultural communication and uh, different models of cultural learning. I was involved in the Global Understanding Project, which is run by ECU, and I was the coordinator and director of that program back in Poland for about five years, six years worked in international relations and um, worked with different foreign groups that came to visit the university where I was working. And then in 2018, I moved here to East Carolina to take over the role of coordinator of global understanding for the university. And I've been here for the last nine months. This week on Human, we're looking at how sociology answers the question of what it means to be human and how culture affects how we perceive this question by talking with Dr. Chris Brighton. What are some key factors that you think shape our culture? Well, I think values are the most important part of culture and the way that we relate to those values, uh, especially how society is taught the values, Mm -hmm. uh, what values are important, what values are essential, uh, what given time, uh, how to reflect those values in everyday life. Uh, from our mannerisms at home to the way that we behave in groups of people, to the way that we show solidarity, community, you know, all sorts of elements that are stemming from the values that we think or that we are told that we should have. So that's what I think is central when it comes down to talking about culture, what makes a culture a culture. How do we identify those values within a culture? I feel like sometimes it's easier to do it when you're outside of a culture than inside of it. Yeah, I mean, values uh, from inside the culture are quite difficult to see because very often you go along with the flow. Right. You're brought up uh, and you're living there, and so you adapt and you adopt different things that are happening around you. Um, Being an outsider in two different cultures, uh, and even an outsider of my own culture back in the UK now, it's a lot easier to see those values and to see how the values are adapted adopted, even manipulated by different groups of people for their own political, social, or, you know, um, campaign reasons. Right. So values are something that I think you start off with an unconscious awareness, and then you develop, as you work through it, you develop a conscious awareness. You know, it's easy to say that you don't agree with um, uh, an opposite political party because you don't agree with their values. That's fair enough or that you don't agree with, you know, country X because you don't agree with the values of that people. Right. But you don't necessarily have that same reflection of your own cultural mm-hmm. values. You tend to accept them. Right. 
So as someone who's not native to the U.S., what do you think are some key aspects of culture in the U.S. that play a big role in our society? I think that talking about the U.S. as one society is a bit hard to start off with. Right. Um, I, I think that uh, if you look at, like, you know, the way that people create models, dimensions, or the way that people uh, examine cultural aspects of different societies, you know, they will break it down into the smallest group or the smallest number possible. I think here in the U.S., from what I found working with students and people that I work with in the office, there's a definite distinction between those people that come from the northeastern parts of the country, right? And a distinction between those people that come from the North Carolina or even the southern parts of the country. But even within North Carolina, I think there's a distinction between those people that live in the more rural areas and the people that live in the more, um, you know, cosmopolitan, urbanized areas. Definitely. So it's very, very hard for me as the you know, as a person who's just moved here, to start putting those things into straightforward categories. Of course, there are stereotypes that you have from living outside. But when you come here, you realize that many of those stereotypes only exist in certain areas. Right. The audio cuts out here a little bit. So for context, I've just asked him how determining what it means to be human fits into our understanding of culture. Um, I think it comes down to the way that we look at values as being part of... Um, human rights and the way that we value that concept of human rights uh, i think that i mean i mean you know living in europe for the last you know 30 40 years and seeing the changes in europe in the last five or six years especially with immigration the way in which we dehumanize the other right has become a big part of the narrative of the modern world um, it's not that the migrant that is moving from point A to point B is a human being, but they are, you know, a, a criminal or a thief, or they are um, infected, or they are bringing, you know, a terrorism threat to the society. So it's creating, a, it's dehumanizing people. It's making them less connected to your values and morals and less connected to what you stand for and more... Um, more against you, more of an antithesis of what you stand for. You know, and being an immigrant myself, and migrating from country to country and not really thinking about where I fit in, but going where it's important for me to do my job and everything, that's been quite hard to, to you know, reconcile. You know, that people look at me and say, oh, well, you're the right type of immigrant. And I've had that here since yeah. moving to America. That I'm, a, I'm the right type of immigrant that people want to have here in America. Whereas, for example, other people that I know are not the right type of immigrant because they are not from a native English-speaking country. Right, yeah. So we use culture in that way. To, you know, we use it to dehumanize. And it's much more of us and them. Mm-hmm. You're either with us or you're against us. And it's becoming very, very polarized. Yeah. And so culture is used more of a, you know, a stick. Yeah. You're either part of our group and you, you know, share our values. If you're not part of our group, we will beat you with a stick until you are part of our group. Yeah. Do you think that that's something that is common across uh, religions and like country boundaries and within different, I guess what we would call like cultures or different groups around the world? Or do you think that that is unique to only certain places or certain ideologies? Um. 
Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, I, I think that there's a big difference between um, people or a person or a group of people and, you know, the, uh, like the government political organization or the you know, religious right. organizations. I think that um, the work that I've always done, you know, with students and mm -hmm. with young people and even people in business has always been very dynamic and people have always wanted to bridge those boundaries and work internationally and to travel and to have connections with people from other countries. It's always been seen by them as something that is positive. So like with them, you know, you know Facebook, right. it's not great just to have friends from your own hometown. You want to have friends from all over the world. You want to have an international environment. You want to be posting not just in English, but also in Spanish or German or Chinese or Japanese or something like that. You want to be watching films and involved in, uh, you know, the culture that is coming out of other places. You go and watch a Bollywood film. You go and watch a film that is written in French. You go and watch a film that is about something that happened in Africa or South America, etc. So there is a natural desire for that. But I think that what's happened. I mean, if you look at like, um, for example, in Europe, especially in, you know, in Britain, yeah. with Brexit. Yeah. And the way that Brexit has been. Uh, portrayed initially as a way to control our borders and it was very much an us and them situation mm -hmm. and them was so ill-defined right. and so you know poorly created that people voted because they believed that there's an external threat yeah and the, the threat wasn't that and it's you know it, it doesn't exist but people thought that the, the, the society or their way of life or something, their job was threatened by somebody else. And so this was not driven by people or by a person, but it was driven by the politics. Yeah. And I think this is where you get the situation. And um, you can see that happening in Eastern Europe. Yeah. You know, Vladimir Putin's been very good at this, uh, creating this connection between the politics and the religion mm -hmm. and building this strong sense of national identities. You know, the Russia First Party. You see this in, in um, uh, Viktor Orban and in Jarosław Kaczynski in Poland. You see this growing up in certain elements of the central European, you know, the uh, Five Star Movement, the you know, Italia Forza Movement. You see this in you know, even the right wing here right. in the USA. But you also see it now, I think that you see it, you know, whether it's a reaction or whether it's part of the natural environment, but you also see that in Asia, in China. Yeah. You know, you see it in other countries, in Australia. Um, and, you know, it's a debate that you can always have about, you know, is the way in which one country is operating a reaction to how they feel that they are being slighted by another. So is China becoming more nationalistic because they feel that they're under attack from the USA? Right. Is the USA becoming more nationalistic because they feel that they're under attack from China? You know, which way around does it go? You know, is Europe becoming more nationalistic because they feel like they're under attack from, you know, immigration or they're under attack from each other? Mm -hmm. So politicians very often, you know, and political groups and uh, certain you know, movements do create this identity that pushes people in either direction. Right. Yeah, it feels like sometimes it's almost more fear of change and of the unknown than it is actually fear of other people. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, I think that's part of it. It's, um, but I think that, you know, as I said, I mean, I think that when you get down to talking about mo to most people, most people really don't fear the other. Right. You know, 
they, they have no problems with that. Uh, you know, they're not really that bothered. But there was this image. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that's come out with the Brexit debate has been, you know, quite interesting sociologically. That you've had people who the British people who've lived in Spain and France, mm-hmm. second homes, retirees, um, quite a lot of them voted on mass for Brexit because they didn't want to have immigrants without realizing that they were actually an immigrant <laughs> living in, you know, in those communities. Right. And then when you talk to them, and you know, research has been done, and when you talk to them, when they're talking about immigrants, for them it's a racial thing. Right. You know, French people, they're not immigrants. You know, Spanish people, they're not immigrants. But then when you get to people of different color, people of different faith, that's where the differences are more apparent. And that's when you get to people to say, oh, okay, that's what I mean by an immigrant. Yeah. So you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but how do you think technology has shaped our global understanding and understanding of what it means to be human? I mean, with things like Facebook now, where we can start to humanize the other all around the world, do you think that technology has helped bring people together or do you think it has worked more to cause divide? Um, I, I think that technology has the potential for bringing people together. And um, in the way that people use it, it can be a, a medium for positive change. Right. I think that it's, you know, there, there are three steps of always, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I always talk about, you know, when I'm doing my training, I always talk about three steps. You've got the first step, which is knowledge. You have to learn some knowledge. But then it's about the knowledge you have to be mindful and you have to be reflective on that knowledge. What does it mean? You can't just learn a fact. You can't just learn an idea. You have to understand. And then that allows you to have competences. And these competences then become transferable. So you can learn the information about, for example, working with um, you know, Mexico or Japan or the Netherlands or you know, working with other countries in you know, specific countries and learn some data about that. But then what happens if you're not working with that country and now you're working with, say, Uganda right. or somebody from India? And so you'd have to have those transferable skills. Um, in my own time, when I was first living in Poland back in the 1990s, and Poland was going through the radical transformations from communism to democracy, mm-hmm. there was a lot of self-reflection within the society. What did the society want to be? What did the future mean? Where were we going? And that, that was also connected to a fairly positive economic outlook in Europe at that time. Um, countries were growing, immigration was not a major problem, people were moving around with freedom of movement, open borders, etc. So as people did those type of things, they were reflecting upon who they were, what it meant to be European, what they wanted to have for their future, what they wanted to have for their life. I think that that reflection has stopped, that now we have knowledge about the country. We don't think about what it means, and so we're not developing those competences. So knowledge has become just, you know, snapshots, little um, straightforward statements. It's become sound bites. It's become headlines. And people look at this, they see it on their Facebook feed but then they don't go behind the story. They don't start to think about what it is, how that connects to their world, how that connects to their life, how that connects to what they've been doing or what they want to do. 
So there's no mindfulness about things. They read that something's happening, like there's something happening in Kashmir. Okay, that's Kashmir. It's not bothering me. It's not important. Right. They read about something that's happening with you know, politician X or politician Y. Not bothered about that. It's politics. There is no reflection. So people aren't having that understanding about where they want to go. And without that understanding, you can't have those shared values. You can't recognize that those people you know, in a certain part of the world that are fighting against terrorism, that are fighting against their poverty, that are fighting against, you know, to change something, that you are doing exactly the same as they are, but you're doing it here and they're doing it there. Right. So the value that you have, the element of humanity that you're talking about, is shared. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in the work that, we, you know, I do on global understanding, one of the most interesting things has always been to talk about family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, students talking about family, it doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what part of the world you are, when you get a group of 18 to 22-year-olds talking about their concept of family and how they behave with their family, you find so much in common. You know, that, you know, people share the same, you know, fears, they share the same hopes, they share the same dreams, you know, and that's just something that I think is really important that, you know, without that reflection, we ignore and we forget the connections that we have, you know, you know, internationally, globally, you mm-hmm. know, as a humanity. Yeah, I agree. I feel like once we can break down the barriers and start connecting person to person as opposed to like group against group it becomes much easier to start to build those bonds and make the connections because i mean at the core level i think all of us you know share something basic in just that we are in this species together and so you know we all kind of have to work together to some sense yeah i mean i know you know paul ekman uh, he did the universal, the, se- the seven facial features. Right. Uh, I read recently, I can't remember who it was, but someone said that there are you know, shared common cultural features you know, that exist across, you know, across the world. And I find that very interesting. You know, that, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, I've traveled widely, I've lived in China for a while, you know, lived in Europe, lived in mm-hmm. the States, lived with different groups of people. And you find that the core, the common elements tend to be the same. Okay, there's going to be differences. Right. You acknowledge the differences. But what people tend to want and how people tend to want to live their lives and what people want to achieve. And when you start talking about what it means to be successful or what it means to be, you know, a good person, you know, those elements of right and wrong, those elements of good and bad, you know, we all generally accept, we all generally have the same things in common. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to look at how people will answer the question of what it means to be human versus how they act in their day-to-day lives. Do you think that there's a disconnect between how we answer that question or how we think about um, other people versus how we treat people that are then in that other category? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, very, it's very obvious. You know, people can say, you know, in one breath, they can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I have nothing against you, but. Right. <laughs> that, that, that's how people behave, you know. Um, there, there is a, you know, a, a level of, you know, 
especially when you do intercultural training, talking to people who will say, I'm not racist. And, you say, and then they follow it up with a statement that is racist. Right. And you try to explain that and they say, oh, but that's not it, right? Because what is my personal opinion? But at the same time, they know that they shouldn't be. Right. So you have this, if you like, this social, you know, acceptance, the, the political correctness. I mean, I think that, you know, that's a totally different story. But, you know, right. there's an element of we shouldn't be like this, not because we understand that we shouldn't be like this, but because we're told not to be like this. Right. So, you know, are you racist? No. Do you like foreigners? No. Well, you know, right. You, know, you you have that you know that that um you know contradiction. Yeah. Well, I think that you know there's a lot of that. Uh, you know, I, I always tell people who are going to work with different people from different countries to start off by expecting respect and showing respect. If you show respect and you expect respect, then it's going to happen. And if you're respectful with your questioning, if you're respectful with the things that you want to do, then there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, it's all about that. That's what humanity is, in my sense. You might not like each other. You might not want to necessarily work with that person. But as long as you show them respect, then at least you're showing and you're, 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 you're saying to that person, well, I will show you respect. Can you show me the same, same respect back? So our last question for this, um, given everything that we've talked about today, what do you think it means to be human? I mean, I, I think it means that you share a certain sense of common commonality with over 6 billion people. Right. Um, you know, I think it's very hard to talk about our humanity because, as I, as I said, I mean, you talk about culture, you need perspective. Right. And, you know, it's, it's one thing that's always, you know, I don't know whether it's a strange thought, but I've used it as a thought experiment. And it's like, okay, then, you know, we suddenly realized one day that we are not alone in the universe. How will that change how humanity sees itself? Right. You know, at the moment, we think that we're an American or a Mexican or we're French, or we're German, or we're Polish, or we're British, or we're Chinese. You know, we don't see that human connection mm -hmm. because there's nothing pushing us to see that human connection. If we have, you know, we talk about us and them, right. and we have an alien species, you know, visiting us that are, you know, quite distinct from us, then we will start to see our commonalities. Yeah. And we'll start to see the things that we have that we share much stronger because we've got now something to compare it against. By better understanding our culture, we better understand ourselves. Sociology is an exceptional tool in understanding who we are and what makes us the way we are. The answer to what it means to be human differs from person to person and is shaped in large part by their values and beliefs. When we can make ourselves aware of these values and understand how they affect us, we can become stronger agents of choice and change. Moving forward in the following three episodes, we will begin to explore the impact of different value systems or cultural groups, 
and how they shape people's understandings of themselves and those around them. There are no real experts when talking about the experience of gender or of immigrating or of connecting to a higher power. So instead of interviewing one person to represent the views of a particular field, each episode will feature three interviews from people of different backgrounds to paint a broader picture of the stories found in each topic. Thanks for joining me this week on Human, and check back this Thursday for interviews with David Ingram, Christine Peugeot, and Olivia Williams as we take a look at how gender factors into how we understand what it means to be human. Special thanks to Dr. Chris Brighton for his participation in today's episode, Lee Rosevere for the theme music, and Dr. Jen Scott Mobley, Dr. Tim Christensen, and the ECU Honors College for supporting this project. If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, look in the description below for a list of additional resources. And thanks for joining me this week on Human.